Good afternoon and welcome back to the Hill for the spring semester. Ooh. I am uh, serving as the host today oh, as boy. Jack wanted to switch seats. This is Austin Mendes coming at you from a snowy Fells Student Center at oh, Nichols God. College. Wicked snowy. <laughs> so boys, how are your uh, winter break? Welcome back to the Bison Boys. Um, I'll start, I guess. Uh, my break my break was pretty good. It was very peaceful. I got to spend time with my family, friends. Uh, nothing crazy happened, but I was hanging with friends and having a good time watching, watching some sports. Made some bread, watched some football, just chilled. It's a typical break, do nothing, get ready to go back to school. <laughs> so typical. So there's been a lot that's happened over the course of the last month since the last time we recorded. Uh, the NFL playoffs have kicked off, and I know uh, we're all eager to want to talk about that. So <clears throat> we can start off with uh, the L.A. Chargers blowing a 27 to nothing lead so over the Jacksonville away. Jaguars. I'm so happy I stayed up for that game and didn't leave my friend's house because I, I had faith. I, watched, I was watching that game. I shut it off at halftime, and I went to bed. And then woke up the next morning and saw that Jaguars won 31 to 27. And I said, Oh, it makes sense. I had faith in the hair, man. Yeah, I did. I, I thought Taylor Swift was going to pull it out. <laughs> so uh, I thought Justin Herbert played okay. I mean, nothing compared to what his expectations well, should you're missing be. You're your number one receiver over the season because you decided to play him three quarters into a meaningless Week 18 game. How well can yeah. you really do? Yeah, I... especially still playing on broken ribs. Let's talk about he's been playing on broken ribs. Yes, he had his worst season statistically, but he, he was on broken ribs. ribs from week three, I believe it was. So limited his mobility, limited his arm power because anyone, I mean, I'm, I can't speak myself, but anyone that's had broken ribs will tell you that you can't even turn your body. So throwing the football has got to be kind of painful for a little while. And Austin Eckler did not show up. Yeah, he had two touchdowns, but 2.7 yards per carry in their rushing attack couldn't get going. I think that's the reason they lost that game. They never had a rushing attack to begin with, and the Chargers are the only team I would probably see in the NFL that would easily blow a 27-point lead because they have no one to rush the ball with. They are gonna run, They ran the ball 13 times with Eckler, and I believe it was four or five with, with uh, Kelly or whoever the backup is. And... They got outrushed by the Jaguars, who had four interceptions in the first half and who end, who were in attack mode the entire second half because they were down 27. The inability to run the ball finally cost the Chargers the game. I was going to say, I think the reason they lost that game, if you look at the stats coming out, you would have thought it was a shootout. Coming after halftime, they showed the quarterback stats together, and Justin Herbert had 37 pass attempts in the first half when after the first quarter they were up 21-0. If you have to throw up 40 times and a half where you're winning by four touchdowns, that's a problem. You you should be able to put that ball on the ground, run the clock out, and they couldn't do that, which is why Jacksonville had so many opportunities to figure out how to break through that defense and score and catch up. It's really hard as a um, as a quarterback to be efficient from the five to ten yard range consistently for what however much time they they had the ball for. But say for a whole half of football, you're up. You can't run the ball effectively. So what you have to do is throw the ball between the range of 5 and 10 yards like you're going to run the ball and go to third down, convert for first down, third down conversions, get the first down, and 
keep throwing the ball short, short. Maybe you could sprinkle in a run here and there. It's really hard for a quarterback to do that. And you could throw any quarterback in the history of NFL, and they wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, I think and relying on Herbert to do that, um, yeah, you have the best receiving back in the league. But again, it's not gonna. You're not gonna be that effect, effective in any any time frame of the game doing that. Regardless if you're up 27, down 27, or it's tied going into overtime, no one's gonna be able to. But a lot of plays he'd get caught up in play action, and a lot of times he just wasn't quick enough and not aware enough to cover in zone. And I think if he can work on that, that's the center of their defense. If they can get him, he played better against the Chiefs. There were a couple very good plays he had in zone. A couple plays he had manned up against Travis Kelsey, which he stopped him on one play, and that was probably the only play the Jaguars stopped in that entire game. So he seemed to get better over the season. And I mean, uh, Foisade Olakun, another inside linebacker there. He had 14 tackles in that Chiefs game. By the league in tackles this year. By the league so. in tackles. So, I mean, they're looking good. Obviously, they're they have a long too. way to go. They're very young, like you said. They have a long way to go. Trayvon Walker, you want to see more out of him, but I th think he can improve over the season. We'll see how he develops. But it's nice to see Jagu uh, Jaguars winning. Yeah, I think a few more <laughs> few more good, maybe old guys like a Marvin Jones of their team like another one on the defensive side I think a few more of those guys on on their team I think they could they could go a far away make it definitely to the next experience. round the way they got definitely need some experience on a defense right. I mean Rayshon Jenkins was the leader of that defense this year he's kind of the captain he's the one moving everyone around and it's only his what fourth or fifth season yeah and he never really he didn't really get a lot of starting time until the last couple of seasons so they have a lot of promise and I think like you say if they can bring in a veteran Jaguars have a lot of cap space going into this offseason too even with the amount of signings that they had last offseason and just it's unfortunate to see their playoff run end in the divisional round but they got a lot farther than a lot of teams expected beating uh the Los Angeles Chargers 31 to 30 in Super Wild Card weekend and then going into Arrowhead and putting up a fight against the number one seeded Chiefs. Yeah, they only lost by one score. <laughs> There's not a lot of teams that can say that this season. And... Jacksonville's definitely a team on the rise, and they're my pick for the AFC South next year. There's no other team in the AFC South that's really close to them. The Titans are going downhill. The Texans are <laughs> the Texans are the Texans and the Colts are a dumpster fire. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on the other side of that game, I do want to point out that against the Chiefs, so another rookie doing really well this season, Isaiah Pacheco. I mean, oh Jack Morvin, you love him. You've been telling us about him, and I think he's the MVP of that game. Twelve carries for ninety-nine yard or ninety-five yards, seven point nine yards per carry. And I mean, you could see a couple of his runs, his long run, uh, his 39 yard run down the sideline where he just barely missed the end zone. I mean, kind of sparked the Chiefs. It was almost a stalemate up until that point. Chad Henney was in, didn't know if Pat Mahomes was coming back, and he just kind of sparked some energy into that team, just taking him right down the sideline. And he's so fun to watch. He runs like his, his hair's on fire. And he, <laughs> you know, he, you know, he's going he's gonna to run people over. You see, take on two guys on the sideline yesterday, a couple days ago. Break both, run break both break, tackles, exactly. and then go through another guy. And then, and then Chad Henney comes in. You know, he leads a ninety-yard drive, and Pacheco just completely bounces the run outside and sets him up to get another touchdown. So, I think the real MVP is Chad Henney because <laughs> being completely composed in that situation, you know, he is a veteran guy. He knows how to play in games, but 
um, being composed in that situation as a backup coming in, and the Jaguars have all the momentum now because Mahomes they took Mahomes out for the, for that drive. Mm-hmm. Um, he came in, went 90 yards on the field in like 10, 12 plays, took good time off the clock, and found Travis Kelsey like you know like the announcers were saying all day. Travis Kelsey catch catch. He had 14 of them. So that's a I mean, huge that's deflate. Playoff to, uh, that, 10 record for the playoffs as well too. That that type of a drive for the Chiefs was, I think, the turning point in that game because that sucked all the momentum out that the Jaguars had. You know, that you probably the best player in the league, Patrick Mahomes, is out of the playoff game, and you're in you're in their house. You know, he's cooking, he's playing unbelievable. Kelsey's feeding Kelsey, Pacheco's running well, and you have all the momentum. But then Henny just comes in and I think deflated their bubble there. And then um, you know, they fought and fought, but. So ultimately, ultimately on to next year for them, but they do have a, they have an amazing future. Going I mean, too. I, all you hear about, I mean, I, even I, I get caught saying it sometimes, is that the Kansas City Chiefs this season are really one dimensional, which they were early in the season before the running game came around. But the last few weeks, everyone wants to say, oh, just cover Travis Kelsey and you'll be fine. But Pacheco is showing that if you give him the ball, he's going to make something happen, and that's something that you have to be ready for. You can't have that guy in that's just playing man on Kelsey in some plays in the middle because that might open up a lane for Pacheco, things like that. So it's going to be interesting to see. We got the Chiefs and the Bengals coming up. So it's going to be a good game. Keeping with the Chiefs, along with Sky Moore, them two, them two together, they'll be in the game at the same time. One of them will split out, one of them will be in the back, vice versa. I think that adds a great dynamic with the loss of Tyree Kill. So they both, both made a huge impact with that loss. So, as I mentioned with the Jaguars, the Jaguars in Super Wildcard Weekend beat the Chargers 31-30 to and then lost to the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead 27-20. So the Chiefs are now in the AFC Championship game. Now for the other side of the AFC Championship game, we'll start off with the back to Super Wildcard Weekend. The Bills... It, got shocked by the Miami Dolphins. They pulled away with a 34 to 31 victory, but a lot of people picked this to be a blowout by the Buffalo Bills. And it's just it's the Bills, they're high risk high reward and you know when you're facing a guy like Scott Thompson, you almost need to be a little bit more conservative because what are the odds he's going to run right down the field and lead a drive? I mean, yeah, it's Henny let a you could say Henny let a drive, but Henny's a veteran, and Sarah Thompson went under fifty percent completion percentage, I believe. Eighteen for forty-five. So. Exactly. Yeah. So he uh, went really under fifty percent there. Um, but it's just the playmakers of that Dolphin team. You got to res- you have to respect it. I mean, it doesn't really matter, I guess, who's in at quarterback as long as you're qualified to be on an NFL roster. I mean, you got you got to think too. Think about talking about those weapons. If Jalen Waddle doesn't drop those three passes. The Dolphins win that game, don't they? And if Tyree Kill doesn't drop it, and Mike Gesicki, and <laughs> a bunch of other guys. But still, like Jack was mentioning, Skylar Thompson played below average in the game, I feel like. And the Dolphins still lost by three against the Buffalo Bills, who a lot of people picked to win the Super Bowl. I mean, granted, the Dolphins' defense played, I thought, great despite the circumstances and despite everything that they had against them, the special teams set up the offense in quite a quite good starting field position half the time and Skylar Thompson just had to go out and just deliver and execute. That's all it is. Exactly. Make throws and execute. Yeah, there's drops, that stuff happens, but 
execution is really what it comes down to. I mean, that Mike McDaniel offense, it's pretty simple to execute, and I don't think that he was that good at executing. Obviously, the stats show for it. I mean, obviously, there's other stuff to it as well, but it's all comes down to just respecting the playmakers the Dolphins have. I mean, they have a two-headed monster, Wilson and Moser. I believe Moser didn't play, though, that game. It was Salvin Ahmed. Moser was out. Yes. Was Ahmed and uh, Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson, yeah. So then they had... Obviously, Tyreek Hill, obviously, Jalen Waddle, two of the top five probably fastest receivers in the league at this point. And I mean, I think Miami's defense also just played. They they were either really good or really bad. I mean, obviously, 34 points doesn't look that good, but they played pretty solid at some points in that game, I think. And like I said, with the Bills' offense, it comes down to, you know, they're like high risk, high reward. They're like, I want to, they go fast. They're, they're flashy. They, they want to get these big plays and they want to. They want to be like, they just want to bulldoze you, really. But sometimes, you know, you're gonna, you're, you're gonna, not, you're gonna shoot yourself in the foot. And Josh Allen had this season had so many red zone turnovers as it is. You know, he was so careless with the ball, and it almost seems like their entire offense was careless this season. You know, I mean, they were, you know, they looked amazing at the beginning of the year, and then they, you could see the decline from you know week nine, week ten, they started declining down. You know, and then. You know they they had the good amount of they stuck in it enough to you know become the two seed still, but they lost that one seed, and they, you know you you could see I can almost predict the decline of the Bills, um, but you know they just I don't know I don't know what's going to solve them. Their entire identity is completely shot out of the water now, and I think the Buffalo Bills are in a uh, I think they're hydroplaning right now and they have no idea how to get back on the road. I think those careless mistakes like you're talking about cost them those big plays that we didn't really notice throughout the entire season. I think we, like during the during the Patriots game even before Super Wild Card, there was a, a few careless mistakes that we all noticed that the Bills are making it. That the Patriots almost won that game. So it's like there was like two or three plays that the Bills, if they didn't make it, would have been a blowout. But the Patriots had an opportunity to obviously obviously win that game, but they didn't, of course. But the Bills were. Very, very declining team towards the end of the season, and it showed in the last two playoff games. You can say, you can say too. I mean, even with the Dolphins game, if you look at the stats and just ignore the score, you're like, how did the, how was this a close game? I mean, the Dolphins only had three explosive plays. They only had three plays over 20 yards. Josh Allen had two of his. Josh Allen threw for one second. I think it was over 300 yards. 352. 352, and two of his receivers. Two two of his receivers had over 110 yards receiving, and they only win by three. Like you're saying, it's two or three key plays. The two interceptions were such bad places and such crucial moments that it just kept the Dolphins in it. They could have ran away with that game. Everyone knows it. You saw how that game was going. Josh Allen hit bombs on the field. Overthrows a receiver. Yeah, not really his fault, but overthrows a receiver on a pass that easily could have been completed. And I don't know if you want to put that on the receiver around Josh Allen, but still, interception. Turns it around. Miami walked down the field, kicked a field goal. Still in the game. Later in the game, I believe it was just a straight up, it was just a straight up out route that he underthrew and got jumped. Interception on their side of the field. So just those two mistakes really just kept Miami in it and is that what the Bills are do they just keep going too big in big moments and like you say risk reward if they make those two big plays do they put up 48 and win by 30 points 
but they don't make those two big plays. They put up 34 and they only win by three. Like you said, he had two interceptions. He just, you know, he fumbled, so that's three turnovers on Allen. Seven sacks by the Dolphins is unbelievable. It's almost like the Bengals of last year, you know. But and then you have you have 26 rushes. I mean, that's more than I would expect the Bills to have, honestly. But again, you can't have Singletary and Cook if you're going to have this explosive offense. You need to have you need to be multi-dimensional. I can almost see if this isn't ch- if that rushing attack by the Bills isn't changed, if they don't get a guy, draft B. John, they get a guy, maybe sign Kareem Hunt or something. You need to give Josh Allen a little bit less of a, of a beating every game. Yeah, he does it to himself when he scrambles and he's always trying to run people over. I, who wouldn't? He's 6'6", 250 as a quarterback. Everyone would try to do that. But yet again, it's Josh Allen's career is going to start going downhill if they don't get a rushing attack. And need, they need to change the identity of their team. Or else they they honestly probably won't do anything. I mean, you can almost see too, like you're saying, getting beat up over season. That the game this weekend, the divisional round against the Bengals, he looked slow. He didn't look comfortable when he was moving. He looked he did he, just he, he looked, looked really st- he did look, look stiff. Right. And you know, I'm not gonna say the weather because they they're in Buffalo. They play in snow all the time. And you know, he he did look really stiff this weekend and didn't really run that well. I don't think and. You know, that's a big part of his game and why can you consider say, him I mean, a top three quarterback. You can say it's because maybe he's trying to keep his footing in the snow and stuff like that because a lot of the guys look slower, but he didn't just look slower like you're saying. It's just he looked uncomfortable. And then yeah, that's not just something that we saw in Buffalo. I mean, you saw it at the Miami game, I mean, too. That 40-degree weather, sun was out. It was nice weather for a game, and he just didn't look as mobile as he usually looked. I mean, four rushes for 20 yards, it's decent for him, but he wasn't as willing to take off when he needed to and he took off a couple times when he really shouldn't have so I think we're seeing maybe him get beat up or maybe him just trying too hard to make big plays so as you guys mentioned the uh wild uh, not the wild card the division around game was between the Bills and the Bengals and just Cincinnati just came in there and absolutely dominated that game a 27 to what was it, 27-10 victory for the Bengals over the Bills. And I I was telling people all week that the Bengals were going to come in fired up after what happened with the DeMar Hamlin game earlier on in the year where they uh, the NFL canceled the game and basically cost the Cincinnati Bengals the opportunity to have either the two or maybe even the one seed. And with that DeMar Hamlin game being canceled, it gave – Buffalo the opportunity basically saying you're going to be either the one or two you're not going below the two and the Bengals were kind of just stuck in that three seed and then of course they had to go out and play Baltimore for the AFC North but nothing would have changed if they won or lost that game essentially but now you come into the divisional round weekend with a fired up Bengals squad coming into Buffalo a hostile territory and have billboard material all week saying that everybody already bought tickets for the potential Chiefs-Bills game in Atlanta. And you come in and absolutely dominate the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo in the snow. You want to talk about two completely different teams. We're just talking about Josh Allen taking off maybe when he shouldn't and not being super mobile and kind of taking too many big-time throws. Joe Burrow came into this game and just controlled it. He didn't take any big risks He didn't, when he didn't need to. He was solid the entire game. 23 for 36, 
and started off nine for nine for 100 yards in the beginning of that game. I mean, he played perfect. He played a perfect game. He only took one sack, and it was a two-yard sack when he was trying to run up to the line. Six rushes for 31 yards, only took it out of the pocket when he needed to. He looks like, I mean, with Patrick Mahomes being injured, Joe Burrow looks like the best quarterback in the playoffs right now. Obviously, we don't know how Pat Mahomes is going to look after this week. He might have time to be better. But if Pat Mahomes is on a bad ankle, Joe Burrow is the best quarterback left in the playoffs. And can we, say we didn't, can we say we didn't? <laughs> can we say we didn't see it coming? I mean, he has last year. What was it about? Oh, he has the talent, but he doesn't have the experience. He made it to a Super Bowl and almost won it, and he would have without won it. an offensive line. And, and now they have the offensive line upgrades. He would have won it. Offensive line is still hurt. They had right. yeah. their best, their starting tackle Jordan Williams and their starting guard Alice Kappa both hurt. It was basically the line they had last year, and they only took he only took one sack. And I don't think they had Lyle Collins, the other tackle. I think he's out for the year. Anyways. Three of their three of their starting offensive linemen have been out since the, they went out in the Ravens game. So. And Joe Burrow just, he looks better. And last year, he looked amazing in the playoffs, and he looked better. Last year, the whole stigma was around after the, after he loses the Super Bowl. Oh, did Joe Burrow really carry his team through the playoffs? A lot of them were close games that were won late by field goals. This is the first one everyone was saying. We haven't seen a dominant game from Joe Burrow in the playoffs. This is it. This is a game people are going to look back at because he dominated. He didn't throw more than he had to. 242 yards. You look at that, you're like, oh, he didn't dominate. But 6.7 yards per completion, a very good completion percentage, 101 rating, and two touchdowns, no interceptions. It only takes one sack. He didn't need to throw shots down the field because the Bills couldn't score. And, and he just played a perfect game, in my opinion. Even if – what if you don't have blizzard conditions in Buffalo yesterday? Does yards. the Bengals put up more than 27 points? Probably they sure. had control of that game from the start. I even think Mixon and Pierre Ryan are running like dogs like they usually do. Mixon 20 for 105 on a touchdown. I mean, that's, that's what you expect out of Mixon. He had a really off year this year, but you know, being able to run like that, I mean, he, he established, they established that early. They came in, they started pounding the rock, and I think the most overlooked aspect of the Bengals is their time of possession and the drives that they put together. They're so methodical and they're so well, they're so well-rounded. They can balance it out well, you know, pass, run, you know, little dump offs to Mixon. You know, they 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 balance their offense so well, and I think that just it, it deflates a defense when you're able to put together play, drives that are between ten and fifteen plays, and that take up you know six, seven, eight minutes of a game in one drive. That that really deflates a defense because you almost have to dig even deeper to try and do that. But when you're playing a guy like Joe Burrow and the studs he has around him, it's really hard to you know dig deeper and and overcome. A team that's, I would say, the Bengals' offense is better than the Bills' defense. So it's it's really hard to to do that. I mean, things too like you're talking about you're talking about time of possession. I mean, 33 minutes to 26 minutes doesn't seem like a lot, but in a game like this, in the snow, in the snow, I mean, you have them for another. You have the ball for a whole half quarter more than the other team, where Buffalo just kind of had he had to air the ball out, and in that conditions, you can't afford to do that. You have to keep it close. Their defense let them down again in big moments. I mean, third down efficiency, six for ten, that's elite for the Bengals. And then on the other side of it, the Bengals defense stepping up, holding Buffalo four for 12 on third down. That's the game right there. I mean, they they know how to convert. They have plays in their playbook, the Bengals, that they save for third down, and Joe Burrow can execute. I think another thing with Joe Burrow is he's a third-year veteran. 
and he I think he's one of the most mature quarterbacks in the league. Like I think I think he's so sound in everything that he does, and I think he's beyond his age and beyond his experience. Because even me, I'll admit, I I fell for the experience trap last year. I didn't think yeah. that that team was going to go anywhere. They're you know kind of like the Jaguars. They had a really really young team last year, inexperienced line. They had you know they had they looked on paper it doesn't look like they could be that well because they're young and they're quote unquote inexperienced. But it clearly goes to show that that doesn't matter. The experience doesn't matter. And I also think Zach Taylor is a top five head coach in the NFL. Um, arguably, I would say um, I, he calls their offense, and I think he. Um, he called a pretty good game yesterday, and I think he game plans really well for what around him. And he puts Joe Burrow in an amazing spot, and you know, having a smart, mature quarterback who's 25 years old, and he's he's a decently young head coach. He was, I think, he was the second youngest when he was hired behind McVay. Yep. When that happened, like four or five years ago, and I think that now, that that head coach quarterback tandem, I think, might go down down the road if they're staying on this path. This is probably one of the best ever. I mean, talking about back to Joe Burrow too. Barring Mahomes, Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league right now. Look at every other playoff quarterback, and you can pick on something about their game that isn't up to standard. That's something about their game that's below average. Maybe Joe Burrow doesn't have the 70-yard throws. Maybe Joe Burrow doesn't have the 100-yard rushing games. Maybe Joe Burrow doesn't have elite accuracy, which he does, but you can say that he doesn't. You can say it's not up there with the MVP Aaron Rodgers. I don't want to say Aaron Rodgers this year because he looked terrible, but MVP. He doesn't have MVP Aaron Rodgers accuracy. He doesn't have the wow plays like Mahomes. He doesn't have Josh Allen's legs, but what he does have is consistency. He doesn't have a single thing in his game that's below average. Josh Allen, he doesn't have the best accuracy. Pat Mahomes, he's a little bit injury prone the last couple seasons we've seen, and he's also prone to taking big shots when he doesn't need to, and that can turn the games around. Uh, Jalen Hurts, still not sure about his deep ball accuracy. On the other side, Brock Purdy, we're not sure about anything. Yeah, he's looked good, but is it Shanahan's offense, stuff like that. Joe Burrow, is. you look at him and you can't pick anything out of his game and say that's inadequate. Everything about him is good to great. And I think that's part of the reason that team's been so good and so consistent because he has weapons to rely on and he's just consistent. You can count on him to deliver you 250 yards passing. You can count on him to throw for 320 yards if you need it to win the game. And you can count on him now to not take sacks. His pocket awareness has gotten better. His O-line's gotten better. And he's been getting rid of the ball a lot quicker than the last couple of years. So the only thing that you could really knock him for in the past has been gone the last six or six to eight weeks, which is the pocket presence and getting not getting rid of the ball. And You've seen how, how dangerous this team is when he's getting rid of the ball. Burrow's one of those quarterbacks where he's not great at anything, but he's good at everything. And that's something you'd rather have, like Spencer said, consistency. He's one of those guys like a prime Drew Brees who wasn't great at one thing, but he's good at everything. Like Burrow's not going to wow you with his numbers. He's not going to go out there and put up big numbers like guys like Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady those guys would put up big numbers burrow comes out and he's gonna get done what needs to get done in order to win the game and the guy's just a winner yeah, he is, <laughs> he's a born winner it's it's true it's crazy to see you know it looks like everything's back up against the wall half the time and it looks like he's he's he, that's what they call him joe cool you know i mean it's, joe burr that's what that's like <laughs> it's it's funny to say but it's like the truth he's yeah. so cool under pressure and i saw this clip yesterday of um Pat McAfee podcast. I don't want to get too off topic here, but he was at a um, 
I believe he was at a uh, either a UFC or a WWE. He was at some some sort of like a, a fight, right? And he's sitting there, and some guy walks up to him. He's wearing like a, a big hat that's like shade uh, that's covering half his face with like a shade or like or a shadow rather, excuse me. And he has these glasses on. You can barely see his face. He goes up to him, introduces himself. Mr. Pat McAfee, it's nice to meet you. And he goes up to it was WWE because Vince McMahon was right next yeah. to Pat McAfee. Introduces himself to Vince McMahon, and Pat McAfee looks at him and goes, "Yo, do you know who that is?" And he turns around and like he looks at Joe Burrow. He gets him. It's Joe Burrow. He gets him perfectly into view, and he's just walking around. He's like, it's like cool. He has like the coolest demeanor I've ever seen of like a, a player. Like a dumb story, but it's it's yeah. he, he just has like he's one of so, those cool demeanors, and it's, the thing it's is so too, cool to watch for for just football fans in general. Obviously, we're all Patriots fans in here, so we don't really have we didn't our team's not in. It's so easy to root for him. He's just he has that demeanor to him where he's not too much of a good guy. Like he's not like he's not going to be like like sucking up to reporters and stuff like that. Where he's not too much of a bad guy. Where you're like, damn, this guy's too cocky. He's right in that spot where you're like, I can root for this guy, and this guy has charisma, and it's so cool. I mean, and to bring another story up, I was going to say, I saw a quote from one of the reporters, someone talking to him a couple of years ago, and he was told by the coaching staff at Ohio State before he transferred to LSU that he was maybe a D3 quarterback. And obviously that was a coach giving him a little bit of slander because he fired back at the coaches. But I mean, everyone knows he fired back at the coaches for not getting playing time and then transferred out to LSU. And of but course, we all know what he did at LSU. What did he do at LSU? Thirteen and zero. Greatest, greatest college football, se- greatest offensive college football season of all time. By any quarterback, by any player, and it's just <laughs> Burrow is just one of those guys. And like I saw a media interview with the, him the other day, he came into the media interview completely forgot about the interview, and I'm sure you guys saw this. He came in wearing Brandon Allen's practice jersey, the number eight <laughs> practice jersey. One of the reporters comes up to him and he's like oh what'd you get a new number and burrow didn't even realize he was wearing allen's practice jersey (laughs) and it's just he's just a likable guy like it's hard not to root for him like i understand if you're like another team in the afc north but burrow's just a guy you have to root for he has that cocky attitude but he backs it up so well it seems like you know like he doesn't like speak a lot like you know there's like cocky guys who always are like oh yo i'm him i'm I'm this and i'm that and he's you can see the way he carries himself is like oh like i'm the man i'm gonna do this right now right here right now in the playoffs in buffalo like there's a video of him t higgins retweeted it quote retweeted and said this is so cool it's a video of him he threw the ball Mm -hmm. and he like kind of like spun on like one arm around insane it was like it's like damn like this is like this is who he is he he, just goes out and has fun he has fun and he's he's confident is the word he's not confident not cocky i think i watched that video like three or four times it's it's one of those mesmerizing videos is just watching burrow do that in the snow he's about to play what some people think are the is the top three is a top three team in the nfl at their home stadium in a blizzard and he just doesn't care he's like i'm gonna go win this game i'm gonna have fun i'm gonna win this game i think the the thing about him too is we're talking about this from a fan standpoint but think about it like just being a Bengals player just being t higgins or chase exactly like Like, this guy's my quarterback how can you not want to how can you not want to play for him obviously he has chemistry with his guy with his guys obviously he has chemistry with jamar look at him he's gonna have chemistry with any he's gonna have chemistry with anyone you bring in that room it's just it's such a good thing for that team that if he's their rock for the next 15 years 
they're going to be successful no matter who you put there. There's probably there's going to be years where they miss the playoffs, I'm sure. And if they don't, like you say, maybe they turn into the next dynasty. They could be. But if there's years where they miss the playoffs, they'll be back the next couple seasons. That's just the kind of guy he is. The people you put around him are going to play to a higher level because he is Joe Burrow. That's just how it is. To move on, before we go on to the NFC, one more thing with the Bengals is I think that their defense is has stepped up even more than it did last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see, you know, obviously last year they played games and um, and the defense lets let up anywhere between, you know, 10, 25, 24 points every time. They're really consistent like that. But um, I think Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson are really um, underappreciated for how well they play. I mean, Hubbard's constantly, you know, Hendrickson was a the guy they brought in. They're like, oh, this guy had uh, 17 sacks, I think it was, in New Orleans. Like, oh, let's give this guy a bag, bring him in. And across him is Hubbard, who's another guy who was under the radar a little bit. They give him a little bit of money, too, because he was he was a Bengal before. They extend him, and now they're both just wreaking havoc on the edge. you got to forget, you got to remember that Chidobi Uzi tore his ACL, you know, about a couple months ago. Their best they're without corner. their number one corner, and their Eli defense Apple. is playing great. Eli Apple stepped up, you know, you had the whole fiasco with him with Tyreek Hill last year and then going to the Super Bowl. You know, he was the he was kind of like that, that one kind of head case that they had on their team. Cam Taylor Britt, a rookie corner, stepped up fantastic. He had a pick. Awesome. He, had, he had that pick yesterday late yeah. in the game with like about three minutes left, I think, on, on Allen. And you know, you got a whole. I mean, Von Bell has been playing what Von Bell was drafted to be, and Jesse now you Bates. have Jesse Bates coming back. And yeah, DJ Reader in the middle of the defensive you, line as well. You want to yeah, hope they resign Jesse Bates, but you know what? What's he worth? You know, the leader of your defense. You know, are you willing to overpay? Because he's he's an older guy, 28, 29 years old, I believe. You want to overpay a little bit, you know, a couple of mil a year more for four more, four, four, four or five more years of work from him. But again, it's something from one of the at. top safeties in the game. Exactly, yeah. I mean, he played on the tag this year. I think he wanted to play on the tag because you know they know that he knows that they can make a run, and that's mm-hmm. obviously that's you know characteristic wise. That's I mean, it's a team player. Talking about guy. talking about that too. That's a thing where I didn't mean to cut you off, but playing on the tag, you go to a lot of teams. People aren't going to play on the tag. You go to the Bengals. They tag, usually when a player gets tagged, you wait a couple weeks to see, oh, everyone's speculating, is he going to hold out, is he going to do this? They put him on the tag, and two days later, they're saying he will play on the tag. You don't get that with a lot of teams. There's not a lot of teams that are bought in like that, where a player will forego his opportunity to, after his best season of his career, forego the opportunity to go into free agency, he could hold out and have them actually sign him. But... He plays. He wanted to play on that tag because he wants to be part of this, and I think that's a big thing about their team. So go ahead, Jack, and I mean, cut you off. I'm just saying that you know their defense, I think, is really well rounded, and they got a they got some pieces there. You hope this that core stays together, but you know, play on the tag, like you said, is it's something that you know it takes you know a character to do. I mean, I think people will play on tags, you know, whether they want to prove prove themselves right, prove the team right. I think he played because, you know, he's like, oh, well, we might win another Super Bowl. We just went and played at, you know, we had the, one of the greatest playoff runs. You know, they, they got hot at the right time last year, but I think this year they were hot the entire year, and now they're here. And I think, you know, playing on the tag like that, I think it worked out. Just to, before we switch over, uh, Spencer mentioned a couple minutes ago about Burrow and their playoff window. Just, I just wanted to bring up his quote when, they asked about his playoff window and his championship window and burrow said the window is my whole career our window is always open and just having a guy like that as confident as he is in his team and in himself that's a guy you want at the helm of your team no matter what team you are and 
you look at teams like the Texans, the Colts, you want a guy like that. And you want a guy that can go out there and be confident with the team that they have around them and not not point fingers, not do anything. If you're pointing a finger, it's right back at yourself. He's the, he's the captain of that team, and everyone in that organization respects who Joe Burrow is, and the fans are getting it. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens this upcoming Sunday. And they have the night game against the Kansas City Chiefs, a rematch of last year's AFC Championship where the Bengals came back and beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead. It's in Arrowhead again. And now it's Mahomes versus Burrow again. The narrative all week is that Burrow has never lost to Patrick Mahomes. And it's it's going to be a fun game to watch on on Sunday. And later we'll do our Super Bowl predictions. But you got to think, too. Last year, he plays Mahomes with a completely healthy offense. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was playing well. Not the best, but he was playing well. You have Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill on that team still. Nicole Hardman having a career season. Travis Kelsey is Travis Kelsey. Their defense was playing better than they are this year. And Joe Burrow beat them. Joe Burrow brings back the same team, if not improved, which I think we can all agree it's improved, and especially in the whole line and the defense as we were just talking about. I know the Chiefs are the favorites, but just look at it. I mean... If Joe Burrow plays Joe Burrow's game, I think they'll be fine. I mean, that's obviously one of my Super Bowl predictions. It's been one of my predictions. I mean, it was either Bill, for me, it was either Bills or Bengals, and obviously we saw the downhill slope the Bills were on after week 18. So I got Bengals going to the Super Bowl, and I think a lot of other people do too, just based on how hot they are and how good that football team is. I have the Bengals too. Jack and Jack. Bengals, Niners, no questions. I would would hope so, but you never know. It's Mahomes, but I think think streak will continue. He'll go into Arrowhead for the fourth time and (laughs) for the fourth time. Yeah, and now as we transition over to the NFC, I'm going to start off with the uh, wild card game between the 49ers and the Seahawks, and it was close up until halftime, and then the 49ers just took that game and ran with it, and credit to... Pete Carroll and Geno Smith for everything Seattle did this year for a team that everybody predicted to be at the bottom of their division and Geno Smith just coming in and, and no everybody wrote him off and he has yet to write back and just something with Geno Smith and everything and I hope he I hope the Seahawks resign him I hope John Schneider comes out and gives Smith some money and just keep them on the team because they have a young team. They can build this up. If they have that quarterback that they can rely on, a guy that I thought Geno Smith was going to do nothing this year after everything you saw him do with the New York Jets. I thought he was going to be trash, but he actually killed it. And if you can keep a guy like Geno Smith and build around Geno Smith, he's only 31. I mean, yeah, he's starting to get to towards that back end of his career, but you can have a championship window open if you. They have a young team around Geno Smith and a young team that Pete Carroll can coach I don't up. Know if we want to say championship window, the NFC's got very top heavy right now. But go ahead. <laughs> Just you know what I mean by that. But they have they have two top picks, two top fifteen picks in the upcoming draft. One that's in the top ten. No team has a top ten pick that made the playoffs. I mean, that's the thing, too. You talk about the Broncos trade in the offseason. They gained draft capital. They gained young players. 
and they didn't lose any production at all from that quarterback spot, whereas the, the Broncos just look like they're spiraling out of control. I do want to say, before we go on, I apologize for six weeks ago when I said I didn't think the, the Niners would be able to sustain with their seventh-round quarterback. I apologize. And we all 30. predicted that they were going to go out and sign Baker Mayfield. And I am on the wagon. I've been on the wagon since about four weeks ago since Brock Purdy won his fourth game. So I, I'm on, I've been on the wagon, and I just want to say I, I, I retract my statement about the Niners not being able to go anywhere with a, with a seventh-round rookie. <laughs> I was saying this to Spencer the other day, too. You have a guy like Brock Purdy. He's Mr. Irrelevant. He's a guy that when he got the starting job uh, following the Dolphins game, nobody predicted him to be what he is today. He's undefeated as a starter so far. He hasn't – He's first of all, he's a rookie. So, yeah, he's going to make mistakes. He's going to make those rookie mistakes and everything. But they're not playing conservative with him. They're going out and just as Jack mentioned earlier with – Skylar Thompson and the Dolphins they're just going out and letting him play they're letting him execute letting him do what they're basically giving him the reins and trusting him to make the right decision and he's making the right decisions for the most part and like you said I mean we can attribute it to the Shanahan offense but still no matter what offense you're in you have to make the right decision like you're saying no matter how easy that right decision is you could have two reads and have to pick one of them you still have to pick the right one and just, like you just said about Kyle Shanahan, he's an offensive genius. Like, we say that about Sean McVay, and Shanahan often gets overlooked because of that NFC West offensive minds that they have. But Kyle Shanahan, granted, Brock Purdy has all the weapons. They have Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. You still have to know how to use them. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know, but I feel like with those, with those weapons and... Uh exquisite coach of Kyle Shanahan I feel like it's I would say easy in a way to develop a pretty solid rookie quarterback yeah it takes pressure off of it yeah for sure I feel like he's been killing it at 6-0 start second undefeated quarterback along with Bailey Zapp (laughs) I mean to rookie quarterback (laughs) we gotta talk about when you have on paper the number two defense but everyone knows the number one defense in the league like just who was the number one? The Cowboys, I believe, on paper. But still, the bet, playing as the best defense in the league right now, that's got to take so much pressure off of you as a quarterback as well. I mean, you're looking, you're like, hey, I can afford to go three now on this drive because my defense, and, and when, when you're up a touchdown, you want to score and put it away, which is a lot of the situations he's been in, which is a situation they were in for the first half of this game. They're only up one score. Brock Purdy can say, okay. I can go three now if I mess up a couple times. Defense is going to get me the ball back. That defense gets the ball back. The defense gets turnovers. I think they had the most turnovers in the league this year. I'm not sure. You can check me on that. Probably. And I believe they're also the number two scoring defense this season. So, I mean, you can trust your team to have your back like that. And I want to say, I haven't seen a quarterback come into a game with as much energy as Brock Purdy's had in a long time. And... I know everyone was nervous that first game he had to come in, but when he, I mean, yeah, everyone has nerves, but when the person you're nervous about has absolutely no nerves whatsoever, that calms you as well. And that's how Brock Purdy's played. He hasn't looked worried. He hasn't looked nervous. He hasn't looked out of his element. He looks like he's supposed to be here, and that's part of the reason that team's playing so good because that just gives you a spark. It's like, man, who knew? And I think for the next game, I saw a thing about Jimmy Garoppolo maybe coming back for 
the next game and possibly for the Super Bowl as well, but that's kind of a thing to look at is if they're going to play Jimmy Garoppolo for the next game or they, they're going to keep Brock. They already said that they won't. They already said that Brock Purdy is their starter through the end of next season and next season. You, can, you can't go away from a guy who has the hot hand. I don't care if yeah. it's oh, Jimmy no. Garoppolo, Patrick Mahomes is Brock Purdy's backup. I mean, that might be a little that's, that's exaggeration, wild. but you under, you get what I'm saying. Like, Brock Purdy has the hot hand right now in that 49ers offense. He's their guy right now, I mean, and they're going to roll with him for, from then on out. For and, anyone that wants to argue playoff experience for Jimmy, look at this season. They uh, Jimmy had one more start than Brock Purdy, and Brock Purdy blew him out of the water in stats. Every stat. Every single stat blew him out of the water. So on less pass attempts Jimmy's gone and this is Brock Purdy's team Trey Lance does he put up a fight I don't know I don't think so I think they they got something to do with him I the think we have a from Adam Schefter they said that it's Brock Brock Purdy's QB1 next yep. year unless you see a seismic change from Trey Lance and, and I don't see that I, I don't either but do we see a, a Jordan Love situation start to develop where it's like you know you have this guy behind but the difference here the Niners have weapons. You can, if if you really think Brock Purdy is your guy, you can get rid of Trey Lance for a lot of yeah, capital. There's thing. a lot of teams that would not as much as they gave up to get that number three overall pick. Though. Yeah. yeah, they gave away all those picks to Miami, <laughs> yeah. and Miami turned those picks into Tyreek Hill, Bradley Chubb, yeah. and uh, I believe Jalen Waddle. Uh, Jalen Waddle. They I traded a first round pick for the first round pick that they I used on Waddle. I believe the Niners pick that season was Jalen Waddle, that Jalen yep. Waddle pick, because the Niners went from seven to three. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, so they turned that, they turned the, the Dolphins turned three Niners first rounders into three studs in their team, so. I mean, you guys, really you, you hard, can say too. It's really hard to say, oh, you guys want a, uh, a backup who played 13 games of college football in three seasons for, oh, maybe you can get a first rounder. So they're going to look at you, they're like, are you serious? Because it's really hard, it's, He's, Trey Lance isn't going to go anywhere and be successful immediately. Mm -hmm. Shanahan and maybe McDaniel, because they're from the same tree, those are the only two places that Trey Lance will probably go and he could be successful. And in week one, he lost to Chicago, and Chicago's the number one overall pick now. I'm not, I'm not sure what that means to you guys. It's week one and everything, but, but that's still something you got to look at. Kind of throws I mean, up red flags. Yeah, it yeah. was also pouring that in game. the rain too. But <laughs> or, I mean, we, or we trade Trey Lance for Mac Jones. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, I, I would rather have next, Mac next Jones topic. over Trey Lance. But in there. <laughs> <laughs> so the 49ers are the NFC's, one of the NFC's side of the wild card. Going on with, back to wild card weekend in the NFC, we have the Cowboys and the Buccaneers. The Cowboys winning 31-14. to 14. I don't really have much to say People about that overreacted game. overreacted so much to that game. Dak played against a bad defense with one of the best built offenses in the league. They're all like retired. They're like, they're all like, oh my god, he threw for 300 yards and four touchdowns against a bottom 10 defense over the last six weeks. Exactly. It wasn't impressive. People were going crazy the, about this game, saying, oh, if Dak keeps playing like this, will the Cowboys make the Super Bowl? It's like, it's more. First of all, it's the Buccaneers more than were Dak. the worst Second playoff all, team this year, in my opinion. Record and just, I mean, I think any team in the AFC beats them. I think. I think the Dolphins beat them, which they almost the beat The Dolphins Bills. with Skylar Thompson. The Seahawks, forget the Seahawks, about it. I think the Seahawks smoke them, too. I think the Se I think if the Seahawks play Tampa Bay in this game, we get the same exact outcome. But exactly. People overreact to that game. And I don't know if you what game you're going on to next, but... I was going to go to Minnesota and the Giants and just... Uh, 
before we all know what happened with the divisional round game between the Giants and the Eagles, the thirty-eight to seven that is whooping. Even, that is needed to be talked about. It's just that just it oh, goes crazy. It, tr- truthfully, the only thing I have to say is it goes to show where the Giants were at. I said this what week seven, week eight. How sustainable is yep. them winning all these one-score games? Nah. It's not. It's that, not sustainable. It's not sustainable. Not throwing the ball over twenty yards is is le- not as frequent as they do. They they Daniel Jones is the least amount of like deep shot plays out of like any call quarterback that qualifies and i think matt ryan was like the only guy below him that didn't get that with, with like less 20 yard plus completion and he played he missed what four games <laughs> yeah he, he, probably more than that i don't know that, he, he didn't he, play he, half bad. the season matt ryan is bad it's, <laughs> it's it, bottom 10 quarterback five yeah, the, the i mean we wanted the giants to win because not none of us are eagles fans in here and we know why but can't you just couldn't the eagles were hot not as hot as they had been but jalen hurts came back and had a really good game they had energy coming into week 18 they didn't even have to play a perfect game they scored they won 38 to 7 and they ran 47 plays that entire game they only had to run 47 plays to win that game 27 pass attempts and 20 rushing attempts the giants are a wild card team they're not a division around team this year they can always build off of. They are in a great starting a great spot. They have a lot of cap space, and they, there's going to be weapons on the market. And the question is going into the off season. <laughs> <laughs> the question is going into the off season right now. You have Daniel Jones as a free agent, to my knowledge. Yes. Do you stick with Daniel Jones, or because I believe the Giants are a quarterback away. Maybe a couple defensive pieces, like I, I low-end mean, I, defensive they, pieces. They need, they need one more wideout, and this wideout class sucks. Is what yep. I just that's what I just whispered to you guys. The wideout class is terrible, <laughs> and Daniel Jones isn't the answer right now. I don't think you give. I think you give Daniel Jones two more years. I think you give him two Upper years. Yeah. I think you give him two years. You see what happens if they make an advancement past the divisional round, or you see an improvement in his game, like the deep ball, and. Maybe, maybe that's Dable. Maybe that's Dable just scheming up all these slant arrows, all these flat routes, all these dump-offs to Saquon. If that's Jones, I mean, Dable, excuse me, that's fine. That also killed them, too. They were playing very aggressive. Also, I was talking to Austin about this. Their big man corner, I forget his name, but number 43, who got injured in the beginning of the game. Michael Davis. Michael Davis. He is usually their backside corner in trips he usually mans up the single side the single receiver and with him going out in the second quarter uh doug peterson kind of exposed that and they ran a lot of trips if you watch that and it just kind of the way the charger were playing it was changed because they had a key injury as well so a lot of things came together for the jaguars but at the same time like jack is saying you can't sustain a winning type of football with the way that they had to play that game it was very, it was very inefficient. They threw the ball forty-three times. Herbert completed twenty-five of forty-three passes. They only had twenty-three rushing attempts the entire game. Thirteen by Eckler, seven by Joshua Kelly, and three by Herbert himself. And they were leading until the final second of the game. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that's. I also do believe that Brandon Staley still isn't that great of a coach. Yeah, you can't. There's nothing you can really do about that defensively you know you got to play it safe you're you're up four almost four possessions you got to play it safe on defense but yet again I think Doug Peterson played really well Staley just called a defense and like you said the Jaguars run a lot of tight tight trips 
to the line. I mean, you saw in the Chiefs game, the Chiefs just blitzed the crap out of him right off right off that side. And then, so Staley calling the defense, he didn't adjust a whole lot. I mean, yeah, you got to play it safe, like I said. But again, there's got to be some sort of a factor where you gotta you gotta bring maybe five and man up for a game for a play, switch it up, stop running the soft zone stuff. And that's when Doug Peterson can just pick you apart. I mean, he's a great coach. We saw him take Nick Foles to the Super Bowl um, and win it, putting up 50-something points, you know. And he comes over to Jacksonville, and that's exactly what that team needed. I, I did see one thing the other day um, that Byron left, which was almost a lock. If you guys remember, to become the Jaguars head coach. Yeah, no, he's fired. He was um, – <laughs> He was. They had a, he had a dispute with Balky, I believe, which doesn't which doesn't surprise me at all. He's one of the most problematic GMs in the league. But then now they bring in an experienced head coach, Doug Peterson. Like I said, won the, won a Super Bowl with the with an average just above average roster, I would say, and comes over to Jacksonville and he takes Trevor Lawrence's second in his second season and turns him into a superstar. Ultimately, ultimately, in one season. I think Trevor Lawrence had one of his one of his powerhouse of a season and I feel like Chargers have kind of a bad history of playoff contention looking at his second half when the Jags started going on that winning streak he won six of his last eight games I believe it was and I mean he looked like Trevor Lawrence he looked like everyone the the prospect everyone knew was going number one overall he looked like the player he was at Clemson with I mean yes he had all the weapons at Clemson with T Higgins and all that but he looked like the generational talent that we were going to see. Yeah, there were some there's some spots here, a little bit of bad decision making, a little bit of rush throws, but it's his second season. And Doug Peterson, as you said, he took Nick Foles to a Super Bowl and won it. He knows how to coach a quarterback, and I think it's good to see Trevor Lawrence because I think he finally has a coach that's going to bring out his best abilities, going to tuck away his inefficiencies as problems gonna go away from those and work towards his strengths and obviously Urban Meyer wasn't doing that there but I mean they have, he has a good core around him too it seems I know everyone kind of clowned the Christian Kirk signing but he produced this year he didn't not 84 million produce but he produced and Evan Ingram kind of found his home it seems hopefully for the Jacksonville Jaguars he decides to resign with them he wasn't a one-year deal but they have a decent core I think maybe one or two more weapons on offense is all they need to be extremely explosive and if that defense can get put together I think they'll be a perennial playoff contender. Well in about two and a half weeks they'll have Calvin Ridley back too so you gotta remember okay. that as well. So I, I, I forgot about that I actually so I think they're I think pretty they, sad on offense. They have right? February 15th he's reinstated from his suspension so he is 27 20 years old but I saw he is in shape and staying in shape the past two years he is coming off a torn ACL the year before he was suspended so you know two years removed, almost three years removed of playing football is hard. I mean, we saw Watson, Watson struggled, maybe Ridley struggles, but he's still a, pro, a playmaker. So He's still someone that defenses have to look at. But, yeah, good, promising for the Jaguars, I think, on the next game. We're recording this episode uh, following the division around week, and during the Kansas City-Jacksonville game, uh, I forget who the announcer was, but they were talking about the turnaround that the Jaguars had with Doug Peterson at the Collinsworth helm. Collinsworth, and I forget who was with Collinsworth this year. So Tariqo. Yeah, Mike Tariqo. And just everything that Peterson's done, the Jaguars had Urban Meyer as the head coach. They lost faith in the organization, the players did, and just lost the trust of guys. We saw a, just stats-wise, obviously he didn't throw the ball downfield, but we saw a massive improvement from Daniel Jones this year. Efficiently. He was way more efficient. Way more efficient, way, way less turnovers, 15 
passing touchdowns with a few rushing touchdowns. It doesn't show this to I, This is why I hate ESPN because it only shows their passing stats. But 15 passing touchdowns to only five interceptions, which is his best, uh, best touchdown to interception ratio of his entire career. He did not have a single fumble this season, which blew my mind considering he had 23 turnovers his rookie year. I mean, he... I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was coaching, if it was just development, but he was so much more careful with the ball, and I think that's part of the reason, like you're saying, coaching. I think it's Dable's offense. I think Dable built that offense at least this season to gain his confidence back. Don't throw it deep. You're going to throw picks kind of thing. So maybe he schemed those short throws just so he wouldn't have to worry about it as much, and he didn't, and he was a lot more efficient. He was a solid quarterback. 15th in the league in yards, which... 3,200 yards on that Giants offense, which is a power run team. Not bad for Daniel Jones. Not elite, not great, but he showed improvement in in every single aspect of his game, and I think that's positive for the Giants looking forward. Daniel Jones isn't going to go anywhere. No one's going to pay big money for Daniel Jones. He's one of those, like, and he's gonna be back Baker Mayfield-type quarterbacks He's right going to be back on this team next year. I think he's a lot better than Baker Mayfield. I think he has a lot more upside than Baker has right now, and... I think point, he's, yeah. <laughs> I think he's their guy for the next couple of years. Like Jack, like Jack said, I think he's more of a bridge. He's a solid guy unless he really steps it up. But I think they have a, some bright spots to look at, some things to work with. If they if they want to use Daniel Jones and keep him for another year, maybe sign him to as you mentioned as a bridge quarterback. If they don't aren't completely sold on him, is the what I'm looking for. If they aren't completely sold on him come the 2023 season, you have a strong quarterback Very class strong. with mean, the draft. up. The, not this upcoming draft. I mean, year. this upcoming draft. Caleb you have, Williams, Kelly Williams class. Yeah. Drake May, Shadura Sanders. Exactly. Be a good amount of players that are going to come out of there. But, uh, Jack, you mentioned how they need a weapon. The number one receiver, to my knowledge, in the free agent class is Jacoby Myers. Myers. And I don't see him leaving New England. I see uh, him getting overpaid by a kind of lower end. It's either he doesn't leave New England or he gets overpaid. Like kind of a Bears type team, kind of just gives him like twenty million. Juju, like him and Juju yeah. are the top of the class, which is gross compared to to other off seasons. I mean, I'm a guy that loves Jacoby Myers, but I know he's not a he's not a top ten receiver top 15 receiver in the I league not, i wouldn't give him top 25 that maybe, maybe but he's, top 30 yeah yes, I, he's improved but systematically he's a he's one of those he's one of those consistent guys one of those guys that if you need a if you need somebody to get the job done he'll get the job done it's but like he's nothing he, like he, a deandre hopkins Jalen yeah, waddle yeah, like he, slid, he slid ray Dettelman's role exactly but uh then you have the trade market deandre hopkins as i just mentioned is on the trade block. Do they have the pieces? That. And then you look into the draft. The draft has guys like Quentin Johnston from TCU. Jordan Addison from USC. Jackson Smith and Jigba. It's so top-heavy because you have the first five guys and then it kind of just... Is it Rasheed Rice, Jerry Rice's son? Yeah, Rasheed Rice. Him, him, Josh Downs, and um, is another like mid Jalen Hyatt. Those three guys are probably like second round to third round guys. Which I don't, I don't, I I would have a problem taking one of the three of those guys if I was them. I mean, Isaiah Hodgins turned it on. You know, week I think eleven or twelve. That's Mm -hmm. when Daniel Jones really started to climb. That's when Isaiah Hodgins started playing ninety percent of the snaps in game. 
and you know he was on Buffalo's practice squad in November. And now he's, I would say, the best receiver of the Giants right now. I mean, yep. Shepard obviously has a torn ACL, but he's getting older. And I think if you want to keep Daniel Jones, I think what you do is you draft a young wideout, whether that's the first round or the second round. Because at this point, I don't know um, how likely it is all these receivers are going to start flying off the board. Like last year, you saw. We saw all the receivers fly off the board before the twentieth pick. But look at five wideouts. Yeah, but the, the talent was nuts. That's and that and now we're, we're now, now we're year. looking at it. A couple months ago, you know, bar near the end of the uh, college football season, we we're like, oh my god, this this class is loaded. We're gonna have, you know, we're gonna have three guys top twenty, maybe four guys top twenty, you know, maybe like last year. Now all I'm all I'm seeing is I think Jordan Addison will probably be the only guy to go top twenty. I think he's yeah. the best wideout there. <laughs> Johnson obviously has the potential. He's a big physical guy, I fast guy. One of the big things, too, is If Marvin, he's used right, then he'll, he could be thing. good. If you sit Daniel Jones down and you say, if you sit him down and you say, listen, we don't know where what direction this team's going to go in right now, and we're not willing to give you big money. Like Even Dak Prescott gets a, got a bag. And he's not that good, honestly. <laughs> like, if we're being real, he's a top 15 quarterback. He's a top half quarterback. I wouldn't say he's a top 10 quarterback. Top half between probably 11, 15. Yeah, I agree. You got to look at Daniel Jones and be honest with him and say, I don't know if we want to give you this money because this is where we are right now as a team. They're not, they're, they don't, they're not there yet to take that next jump. Like, they're not at the point where, like, oh, they just need a couple guys to develop, get a couple veterans, and they're on the jump. They need... Daniel Jones to develop heavily into a complete top half quarterback. Throwing the ball, he's a barely a top twenty quarterback in my opinion. Mm-hmm. They need a couple veterans. They need guys to develop, and they need Daniel, they need to show themselves if Daniel Jones, if they're going to invest in Daniel Jones. And I don't think I would do that right now. Bridge it for a year or two, depending on what the class of twenty five is like. I mean, it's far down the road, but you see what happens. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sold on Daniel Jones, but. Maybe the, maybe the Giants' GM is. Before we get on to the division around game between the 49ers and Cowboys, I did want to stay on this Giants-Minnesota game real quick, but uh, switch it over to Minnesota. What is wrong with Minnesota? They're in purgatory. I, I think we can all see that. I, I mean, I, I've, I'm sure everyone's heard it. Uh, sorry. Ooh, need a deep breath. Kirk Cousins <laughs> is really just Matt Stafford. He's just kind of lines Matt Stafford. He has amazing stats. He's not going to win you late games. And, I mean, I hate to say that about Matt Stafford, but it was true. He had a lot of close games in Detroit that he lost, as you can see. A lot of close games that he won this year for Kirk Cousins, a lot against bad teams. That one game against the Bills was insane, but still. They had a negative point differential. They finished the season with a negative point differential. And as they won the three seed. As the three seed. They won 13 games. They had a negative point differential. The red flags are everywhere. Justin Jefferson is carrying that entire offense right now. Dalvin Cook had a down year. A lot of fumbles, which was very surprising to me. And he's also a guy where this year, he was very consistent last year. But this year, Dalvin Cook emerges as a guy that was either... He's going to give you 150, or he's going to give you 30 rushing yards. And they just can't afford to have a guy like that when your quarterback is Kirk Cousins. If you want to say a team that's – I mean, and again, look at the other side of that. The Vikings had a extremely depleted secondary. 
and they had one of the worst pass coverage, like just schemes and defenses in general in the league. And that's Pat Pete kind of resurging his career a little bit too. I mean, yeah, it's, and it just shows the depth that they have there. They had none. Non-existent. I mean, against the Patriots, you talked about it. the Patriots. They had four corners out. Their top four cornerbacks were out. That's and the Vikings barely beat the Patriots, and we Mac all know Jones how the Patriots' offense was. And I mean, that, that's the thing. Mac Jones had the best game of his career. He threw for three hundred and eighty-two yards against that secondary. Mac Jones without Devontae Parker. And the the vi- I mean to say to say too you can't blame it on the depth completely because four corners down is a lot because that you only usually carry six corners as an NFL team, but Harrison Smith, I'm not sure if back he was a Pro Bowl back end of his career he's slow he is slow he's a great tackler great run support he can be one slow. one of those uh, types of safeties that transitions to a middle linebacker like you see That's of Landon Collins think, right now I do but I, I think it's a bit late for him and. Daniel Hunter had an off season. Zadarius Smith is not did not live up to his contract this season. They had a few guys step up, but that defense is not playoff caliber. Minnesota it won't be playoff caliber unless they go crazy. They don't have the money to go crazy. You have to pay Justin Jefferson next year. I think they've always had the worst <laughs> playoff luck, like early, but they've had the best record for some odd reason. Minnesota. Thing he wants out of Minnesota. Who knows if Jefferson wants to get out of Minnesota? I mean, I I would would honestly be pretty frustrated with Kirk Cousins as well, um, because he's just up and down. He's never in the middle. He's never ever in the middle. He's just you can't get. You don't know what you're gonna get out of Kirk Cousins. You might get a 40 40 piece out of Kirk. I mean, um, the three p the three point game versus the Cowboys at Kirk Cousins, or you're gonna get. The Kirk Cousins against the you know the Patriots or the Bills or the yeah. Bills where he just lights him up, you know what I mean. So I don't know. I don't. I don't see. I don't see a good future for the Vikings. If I'm being honest, and they have a t- they have the third top three wide out in the league. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of teams that are kind of just sitting there right now and oh boy. we don't know where they're going, the Dallas Cowboys lost to the 49ers again for the second year in a row. And it was it was a good defensive game. I'll give it that. But as we mentioned earlier about Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott had two stupid interceptions. And the fact that, I don't know if it was, I believe it was two. Yeah, it was two. Uh, last time I checked, it was two. And Should have had another one, too, in that last drive. Greenlaw read like a book yeah, right through his hands. Yeah, two interceptions for Dak Prescott, 23 for... 37, 206, one touchdown, two interceptions. I think we need Is to, Dak Prescott holding back the Cowboys? We need to step back and say it right now. He's not elite. Like you said, he's borderline, top half. He's borderline, borderline top, top half. 15. Yeah. And he he has flashes where he plays as a top five quarterback for four weeks, and it can't be sustained. And you want to say, oh, well, this, Similar this, and Seattle, that. Oh, well, this, Wilson. this, and that. It's been five years of the same exact thing when he's been healthy. He comes out hot as anyone, plays like an elite quarterback for six to eight weeks, and tails off. And as you see this season, it was the worst tail off he's had ever. Leads the league in turnovers. And in the playoffs has three turnovers in two games against a very bad defense and the best defense in the league. But you know, it was almost false hope last against the Buccaneers where he had five incompletions, three touchdown passes, two rushing, I believe. Or I think it was two and two, but I know he had yep. 
He, I think he had at least four or five total four, touchdowns. Four passing touchdowns, I believe, actually. We talk about so, yeah, Joe Burrow being a consistent quarterback. Dak, Dak Prescott, Prescott is an inconsistent quarterback. And that's 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 what throws teams for a loop, and that's, and that's what doesn't gain trust. And I like think, I was saying with Kirk Cousins, inconsistent. Now you look at a guy like C.D. Lamb sitting there. Wow, my quarterback is inconsistent. He's going to feed me the ball. C.D. had ten. CD had more catches than everyone else combined yesterday on his team. Yep. And you sit there and you look and you're like, wow, well, what are we supposed to do now? Well, I don't know what Dak Prescott I'm going to get today. Am I going to get the Dak Prescott that's going to put up 40 versus the Vikings or Dak Prescott who's going to put up one touchdown versus the 49ers? I mean, obviously the defenses are different. But if you're gonna be, if you're gonna become elite, you gotta go against the elite and succeed versus mm-hmm. the elite. That's saying? not, it's not what, that's not what Dak Prescott. I don't think is ever going to do. No, and I mean on the other side of that, you go against the, the the whole point of being an elite quarterback, which people thought were coming. I, I don't know what happened, but the wave went, the wave died down in the end of the season. And then Dak has one good game against a bad defense. And everyone's like, oh, he's elite again. You know, he's a Super Bowl contender. What do elite quarterbacks do? They pick apart the best defenses in the league. Dak Prescott day in has, and day out. Day in and day out, and Dak Prescott's never done that. Pat Mahomes does it every game. Joe Burrow can do it. Josh Allen can do it on a good day, and I mean he hasn't had a lot of good days, but a good, a normal Josh Allen and a healthy Josh Allen, and a in the right mindset Josh Allen picks apart the best defenses in the league. And Dak Prescott's never done that. He's been great against average to losing teams. He's never been good against winning teams. He's never been good against playoff teams. And the NFL just keeps giving Dallas cakewalks of schedules. The NFC East in general, outside of their division this year, had cakewalks of schedules. Their in-division games were the hardest that they had as a division. And to go to, to go up against, like you said, false hope to go up against that Buccaneers team. They're like, oh, we're hot. We're on fire. We have momentum. And then you go play, I mean possibly one of the best defenses we've seen since the Raven. I mean, this is, this is probably going to be one of the best defenses we've seen in a Super Bowl since Ravens Niners way back when Colin or Kaepernick Seattle, was uh, or Seattle Denver. Denver. Sorry, I completely skipped one about Seattle Denver. This is going to be the, if they get to the Super Bowl, this is going to be the best defense we've seen in a Super Bowl since that Seattle Denver team. And you guys ready for a hot take? Go ahead. Dallas has never had a star quarterback. I know. I know Troy Aikman is famers. a Hall of Famer. They're Hall of Famers off of rings, though, because their stat, their counting stats aren't great and their efficiency stats are terrible. Roger Staubach is the best quarterback that Dallas has seen in its history. Troy Aikman's a Hall of Famer. I'll give him that. Rings. He was carried exactly. by Emmitt Smith. They had the best O-line literally ever. Best O-line ever. Great Wall of Dallas is the best offensive Elite line Elite defenses ever. every year. Michael Irvin, Emmitt Smith. Dallas they need a quarterback that isn't going to make stupid mistakes. They have, if they re-sign Tony Pollard, have a good running back duo. Which, here's the thing, too. Will they even do that? We don't know if we'll do it. Will Tony Pollard want to come back to a they team might that's stuck? Maybe, maybe after the fractured tibia that Tony Pollard suffered in the divisional round game, just because teams might not want to take a chance and sign a yeah, guy to a but, long-term deal. He might come back to Dallas on one of those one-year prove-it-to-me-that-you-can-still-do-it. I think, him, I do think it they might tag, tag him. He is eligible for the tag. Because so. the running back market, I think he's – what he would get average annually, his AAV. The tag is close. I believe to would be – I believe what Paul would get over what the running back tag is right now, like the running back yeah. market tag. I think he, he would probably get a four-year, 
$52-$48 million deal, which mm-hmm. I believe that is – I think the running back – Running back tag is, I believe, 12.4. I was going to say it's, it's between 10 and 12, which is uh, it's, one of the worst yeah, in, in, yeah. for positionally. But – I would give Tony Pollard anywhere between t- 10 and 12 20, – 10 and – Excuse me, twelve and fourteen million dollars. I mean, you can't now. Pay he snapped his leg, so I don't. Running, yeah, exactly. You can't pay, you a, running can't back pay a running back. But Tony Pollard to is one of those. He's one of those running backs that you can rely on. I mean, look at what he's done this year. Tony Pollard with the team that Dallas had. Dallas had a banged up offensive line. Tony Pollard came in, delivered, did what he needed to do. But like you said, there you can't pay a running back. There's not going to be a star-studded running back that you're going to get that's going to translate to any team he's on. Maybe Derek. Uh, you have you have Christian. Th- there's I say four or five backs in the league in that class. Christian McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey Derek Henry, Nick Chubb, and, and I don't really know if there's really. I would give Jonathan Taylor that. Jonathan money. Taylor as well. His yeah. line was terrible. I'm not going to even include this year that Jonathan Taylor played for. And, and so he was so, hurt so, for part of the year. There's f- there's maybe four guys in the league that you pay upwards of even I mean upwards of even 15 million. I would have said Saquon two years ago, Saquon but I don't know about right now. If he stays healthy for another couple seasons, Saquon's definitely in that. But then again, another couple seasons is yet of his prime. He's, but he is also a free agent too, by the way. But yeah. Tony Pollard is like he's one of those uh, he's in that, serviceable running. He's backs. in that A tier. You know how you see like the rankings. You have the S tier and the A tier. We just named the S tier. Tony Pollard's in that A tier with Saquon at the high end of it. They're right there. They are the best options on the market, which does he hit the market? Does he take the tag because he's hurt, you know? But then you have another guy that this running back market's going to be good this year. If Tony Pollard comes out and he proves that he's healthy and everything, he's probably the top running back. Then you have Kareem Hunt. And then you have Damian Harris in New England. Who what is the running back market shaping up to be like right now? It's shaping up to be, I think, like Jack said, it's going to be four or five guys that make around 10 to 12 million, probably one guy that makes maybe 13, 14, and it's going to be teams that need a running back. And I think, I think, speaking of the guys that we have out right now, where we have some guys, I think at least one of those guys, their career is going to die next year. They're going to get put up with a team that has a bad old line that thinks they're a running back away, and they're not. And I think. You're One of those teams is Jacksonville. I th- Jacksonville has ETN. I don't know what you're talking about. Ja- they were talking about having one of those, like, uh, what Dual team was it? Backfields, I know what you Was mean. it Atlanta in 2016 with Tevin yep. Coleman and Devonta Smith? Which, yeah. Freeman, which, uh, Freeman yeah. De- that's the thing. Jacksonville, <laughs> Jacksonville hasn't had a terrible line over the last few weeks. So I'm just talking there's going to be a team, say. Jacksonville needs that power back is what I'm saying. Oh, and I think ETN's they, that elusive. I think back. they'll find a way to get it. I don't know why they traded James Robinson away, but I guess it's because they're they're two very similar running backs. But James Robinson has a little bit more of that. It was part there. of the, one of those Urban Meyer like late end Urban Meyer things. Yeah, because uh, he was traded this year, correct? He was traded this year, but he he kind of had a res- you're right. He had resentment for that organization. Cause yeah, Urban after Meyer. just everything with Urban Meyer, and as I mentioned, how Doug Peterson turned it around, and how players started trusting Doug Peterson and everything. He was one of those guys where it was he's too far gone. Yeah, I and think, I mean, just just the helped running, a lot with Trent Bulky. You're gonna see a team like the Bears, not the Bears specifically because they have their guy. I think they have their guy in David Montgomery, but you're gonna see a team. They have Khalil Herbert. He's a free agent. He's as well. Okay, so so then, there's another there guy to add. To then the we're class. then we're gonna see a team like the Bears take a terrible O line, sign one of these guys, a Kareem Hunt, who we know can be elite on the right in the right things. 
and they're going to fall out because, I mean, we see it every single, almost every single offseason. You have a big running back signing or you have a running back that you expect to take the jump next year. A couple of linemen go down and they probably get benched like Leonard Fournette. Like kind of like he starts out the season great. O line goes down. Couple receiver. I mean, I think um, was it Chris Godwin goes down for a couple weeks, so their passing attack yes. isn't as strong. And then he just dips because he doesn't have the right thing, the right stuff around him. And oh, it, it's just uh, it, it's one of those weird things where it's I don't I think there's a few elite running backs, but then there's the teams that can do anything i.e. the Eagles, with any running back. Probably most running backs in the league can be serviceable to good with the O-line that they have kind of thing. I mean... You see that with Miles Sanders. With Miles Sanders, he's... First of all, shouldn't be in the Pro Bowl. He wasn't even with that O-line. It should have been McCaffrey. Kenneth Gainwell ran for 112 yards against a decent Giants run defense. And it's it's a lot more about O-line than it's about running back in this league today. Everyone knows it, and no one wants to admit it. And obviously, the players' association doesn't want to admit it because you see, you name the you name top five players in the league. Derrick Henry's in there. He's a running back. You want running backs to get paid, and they just can't. They get it's hit hard too to much. Pay a running back. They get to hit Anybody too much. They get hurt back. too much. You can see Rashad Penny goes down, or I believe that's. A, I don't know if I'm getting the right penny, but he goes down in Seattle. And then Kenneth, Kenneth Walker, Walker six round picks or fifth or sixth round pick steps up. Offensive Rookie of the Year candidate. And, and yes, he has talent. But the New York Jets, Brees Hall goes down. Zonovan Knight comes Zonovan in Knight and comes plays in. pretty well for I mean, Michael Carter, who we circumstances. knew was, who, Michael Carter, who people who pay attention to the Jets knew he was decent, knew he had upside. But it wasn't, obviously, yeah, Brees Hall added another dimension with just how elusive he was. But it wasn't that much of a fall off after he went down. Everyone thought all oh, their offense is going to sputter now. It didn't until Zach Wilson came back. But which it's the Jets are of, a whole nother team with the quarterback oh, situation. Boy, I don't want if Lamar goes to the Jets, I think we got a problem on our hands as as an AFC East team, but <laughs> probably. I don't see Lamar leaving Baltimore. But then since uh so just to wrap up our NFL playoff discussion, uh the AFC championship is Cincinnati versus the Chiefs in Arrowhead uh Sunday at six thirty. And I believe three is the Eagles and 49ers at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia uh, for the NFC Championship. The winners of the games go to Phoenix, Arizona on February 12th for Super Bowl 57. I'm expecting a Brock Purdy masterclass. I'm expecting a Brock Purdy masterclass this weekend, and I'm expecting Joe Burr to show why he is the coolest guy in the league. Yeah, I I think we all have uh, Bengals, uh, Bengals 49ers. But as for our first episode back for the spring semester, that'll do it for the Bison Boys podcast today on a snowy Monday afternoon here at Nichols Peace. College. Uh, stay safe, y'all. Stay safe, and we will see you next week for our second episode of the spring semester. Catch y'all later. Later.